0: You're listening to Threads Radio, my name's Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic. stein via steve reich and lyrically a pretty apt summary of both this piece and his music in general that's proverb from 1995 and i guess this piece was kind of a sideways move for steve reich drawing as it does on the renaissance polyphony of composers such as Peritin and generally the ars antica style from somewhere around the 12th century i think it makes uh, heavy use of that technique called organum in the two male vocal parts It's a kind of harmonized plain chant with everything sung in parallel, uh, along with, of course, the polyphonic imitation between the three female vocal parts. And there's something about the ambience of this piece that I've always quite liked. It's kind of gloomy, but with a fair bit of bounce coming from the rhythms, which repeat, and yet they're set against a constantly changing meter. The lengths of the bars varying between nine and fourteen beats continually, so there's never really any overriding sense of boxiness that can come with repetition when set against unchanging time signatures. The whole thing just kind of floats, but really rhythmically. It's performed by Alison Zellers, Andrea Fullington, and Sonja Rasmussen, the Sopranos; Alan Bennett and Paul Elliott, tenors; Edmund Neiman and Newitt Tiles on organ; Bob Becker and Russell Hartenberger vibraphones, and they were conducted by Paul Hillier. The album is Proverb, Nagoya Marimba's City Life, and that was released on Nunsuch back in 1996. <laughs> Close towards out and out jazz there. That's the Monarch and the Milkweed from 2015 by Maria Schneider. She's been building a reputation for herself as one of the finest big band composers and in my personal opinion one to put in the same bracket as the likes of Ellington and Gil Evans and my feeling is that this album in particular is going to go down as one of the great big band albums. It's called the Thompson Fields and it was crowdfunded in its entirety which perhaps explains its expansive and yet personal feel. The whole thing is a beautifully understated evocation of the Minnesota landscape of Maria Schneider's childhood and for me it really gives a sense of place. Uh, yes, I've never been to Minnesota. She pretty much only writes for a big band I think and it's a difficult genre, one in which too few composers have in my view looked far enough outward from jazz itself doesn't always have to be this way though and the results can be brilliant as this album so elegantly shows. That was performed by the Maria Schneider Orchestra. The album as mentioned is the Thompson Fields and that was released on Artist Share in 2015. Mm-hmm. a big fan of what you might if you were being fancy call homogenous instrumentation uh, basically multiple overlays of the same instrument so chancing upon this album recently was lucky for me that's stronghold from 2008 by julia wolf and taken from the album dark full ride music in multiples so on that album there's also four drum kits six pianos and yes nine bagpipes and the bagpipe piece came within an inch of getting an airing here. It's every bit as soothing as it sounds of course. Instead though if you've ever wondered what eight multi-tracked double basses sounds like then wonder no more and it seems like something maybe composers should do a bit more of getting in the studio and multi-tracking as a compositional tool especially considering the economics involved in conventional instrumental performance in classical music. About the album, Julia Wolfe has said, Like staring for a long time at a Rothko painting, I imagined each of these pieces as an exploration of one colour. But in truth, an instrument isn't really a single timbre. There are a myriad of worlds within each sound. With each piece, I tried to dive into a psychedelic landscape, at once multi-layered, fractured, ecstatic, silent, driving, cacophonous, and direct. So that was performed, eight times over, by Robert Black on double bass the album as mentioned dark full ride music in multiples and that was released on cantaloupe in 2009 a moment of stasis now this is david Berman. <laughs> all uh-huh. that was All Thumbs originally written in 1986 by David Berman. He's a very underrated in my opinion pioneer of computer music and in particular the use of computers to interact with live musicians in a way that seems to me to be completely unique. Uh, You can hear that in the electronic sounds in this piece which are triggered by the live performers it utilizes a software that listens if you like through a pitch sensor to the performers with the program then governing interaction though i'm not quite sure how uh, between performers and computer the musicians themselves are improvising based off a certain set of instructions given by the composer and i'd love to know a little bit more about how that all works the piece was originally written for mbira the african thumb piano and recorded as part of the music with memory album but it was reworked here for the New York-based SEM ensemble with Berman performing as well and included on their album Virtuosity with Purpose, released on Irrational in 1992. Blending the angularity of modernism with some gorgeous soft moments. That's Black Topaz by Joan Tower, written in 1976. She's a Grammy award-winning composer. Her early work was heavily influenced by serialism, but then she seems to have taken a leftward turn to incorporate the sounds of composers such as George Crumb and Olivier Messiaen. This piece aims to reflect the changing colours of topaz from gold to black as the harmony changes from dissonance to consonance. The piano is pretty central to the whole thing, with the other instruments seeming to magnify different aspects of its sound world, the percussion amplifying the articulation, tom-toms adding depth, and the brass and woodwinds augmenting the harmony. That was performed by Patricia Spencer on flute, Laura Flax clarinet, Chris Gecker, trumpet, Mike Powell, trombone, Stephen Gosling on piano and Deborah Moore and Jonathan Hass on percussion and that was released on the album Black Topaz put out by New World in 1995. So just a quick word about the next piece by Lamont Young before I play it. The effects produced are designed really for listening through speakers ideally whilst moving through a room so it's not really going to be worth it if you're listening on headphones That was an excerpt of Drift Study, 31169 by Lamont Young. He's a legend of avant-garde music in the States, and to me there's something almost mythical about him. He's really the proto-minimalist composer and a key developer of drone music in the West, particularly as part of the Theatre of Eternal Music in the 60s. And I think he shares a lot in common with John Cage, who I featured last month. His music seems to take a philosophical approach, and seems as often to be about what music is as much as it is music itself and his reach to subsequent generations of musicians of all kinds of stripes has been probably as wide as Cage's. That piece Drift Study is from, as far as I know, a still ongoing series of Drift Studies and I guess is as much a sound installation as it is a piece in any conventional sense. It is very long and I'm not sure if the bit we heard was even exerted by Young or by someone else. It consists of frequency and amplitude ratios tuned on a MOOC synth utilizing its sine wave oscillators, mixer and low-pass filter. So I'm going to read you a little bit of what he wrote in Aspen magazine in 1969. He said to my knowledge there have been no previous studies of the long-term effects of continuous periodic composite sound waveforms on people, with long-term being defined to be longer than a few hours. My past work in music with sounds of long duration slowly led in this direction until it became possible for me to develop a situation allowing the study of truly continuous sounds by establishing continuous frequency environments with electronic instruments. I've maintained an environment of constant periodic sound waveforms at my studio and home continuously since 1966. The sets of frequency ratios listened to are often played continuously 24 hours a day for several weeks or months. I have worked and lived in this environment and varied groups of people have been invited to listen and report their reactions to the frequencies. That was released on OHM, the early gurus of electronic music, 1948-1980, to put out on Ellipsis Arts in 2000. Southern Harmony from 2003, written by Jennifer Higdon. She's a native New Yorker, now I think living in Philadelphia, and a Pulitzer Prize winning composer to boot. She came to classical music quite late, and is to my ear slightly sideways to it, bringing a lot of influence of Appalachian folk music, and even some of the pop of the 60s that she grew up with. Southern harmony is a depiction of the Georgia and Tennessee of her upbringing. It's got some lovely modal harmony in it, very diatonic, but not leading to the normal cadence points we might come to expect from tonal harmony. she said of it, the three movements depict gentle aspects of southern life, a slower pace, simple living, and an emphasis on traditional handed down music while the work is much less complex and moves at a slower pace than most of my music i like to think that it doesn't necessarily reflect the south as being simple but rather what for me is a simpler time that was performed by the ying quartet and put out on the album united states life music 2 released on quartz in 2007 font from 1984 by Gordon Mummer he's an east coast composer currently living in Canada and another key figure in the history of American electronic music he's worked a lot in particular with Robert Ashley co-founding the cooperative studio for electronic music in Ann Arbor Michigan uh, which was certainly one of the earliest electronic studios in the US and he was also one of the main composers for the Merce Cunningham Dance Company alongside John Cage and David Tudor Epiphont was made in 1984 and dedicated to the memory of composer George Cacioppo who seems to have led a troubled life being afflicted by both Crohn's disease and mental illness and it's taken from the compilation album Studio Retrospect which contains some pretty out there electronic music for the initiated to dive into the label is Lovely Music and it was released in 2000 now closing out this third part of the Tonics US retrospective This is the orchestral music of Missy Mazzoli. These Worlds in Us by Missy Mazzoli, written in 2006. From Lansdale, Pennsylvania, and now firmly part of the New York scene, she's got a growing reputation at the moment. She's the founder of the electronic band Victoire, which is dedicated to playing her music and who are really worth listening to. That piece, These Worlds in Us, which won the 2007 ASCAP Young Composers Award, is dedicated to her father, who was a soldier in Vietnam, The title comes from James Tate's The Lost Pilot, a poem about his father's death in World War II. In the last line of the poem, he writes, "Misfortune placed these worlds in us. And Missy Mazzoli describes the main theme of this piece as being a mournful line that collapses into glissandos almost immediately after it appears, giving the impression that the piece has been submerged underwater or played on a turntable that is grinding to a halt and in this sense it almost reminds me a little bit of Arvo Peart's Cantus in Memoriam, Benjamin Britten and there's also the militaristic if slightly softened effect of the snare drum and hi-hat patterns the whole piece just seems to have a kind of really luxurious sorrowful nostalgia to it that was performed by the Yale Philharmonia conducted by Shinnick Ham. and as far as I know it's still unreleased so that was taken from a live recording online and that concludes the third part of the Tonic's US retrospective. Thanks to everyone at Threads for hosting. The Tonic will be back at the end of this month on Wednesday 31st of July between 10 and 12 British summertime. My name's Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening.